0: Good morning, guys. Uh, One of the greatest things that happened in my life was when Baker actually reached out and sent me a pre-release copy of John's book. Uh, Because what God did through that was God gave me a friend in John. And one of the greatest graces you can have in your life is a good friend. Um, Run the race, my best friend and I wrote produced, pulled all of that off. And, you know, it's funny, John's heart for the next generation, that, that was our heart making that movie to reach a generation and let them know, if you have Jesus, you have everything. And so God gave me a good friend and John, and John and I've had similar stories. We both moved to California like a month Uh, apart from each other with our families, and we walked through that season together, and then God led me to Louisville, and God led John here, and we walked through those transitions together. Uh, I'm thankful for my friend John, and I'm thankful to be here today with you guys. Uh, I think we got a picture of my family, so you all should pray for me. Um, I, I tell people I used to have hair, I used to have money, I used to sleep, I used to have energy, and now I have four kids, and I love them. Wouldn't trade them for that energy money or hair most days. Uh, Wyatt is six, Judah is four, Scout is two, and Rivers is nine months. And Rachel and I just try and keep them alive, which is a full-time job. So if you have your Bible today, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5? I want to try and answer a question I think that this text answers for us. I think that 1 Peter chapter 5 answers the question of what do we do when we hurt? You see what I know about every person in this room and honestly, one thing I know about every person in every room that I walk into is that we all hurt. That might be something in our past, something that someone did to us or something that we did that we wish that we could change. It might be a present situation that you're in, a financial difficulty, a medical diagnosis, a a breaking or a broken relationship, but every single one of us hurt. And in fact, it really is what defines our society right now is that we are an overly anxious, overly depressed, overly fearful, overwhelmed and lonely people. And that's who Peter is writing to. When Peter writes the book of 1 Peter, it is a really interesting time and a really pivotal time in world history as well as church history. The emperor of Rome at the time that Peter writes this book is a man named Nero. The only way that you can describe Nero is evil. Nero had this driving dream, and that was that he would rebuild Rome, and it would be glorious, and everyone would come to Rome and see how big and beautiful it was, and they would say, isn't Nero amazing? Very uh, self-centered, narcissistic man, Nero. The problem was, in order to build this new Rome, he had to get rid of the old Rome, which what he did was burned it. Yeah. Burned Rome with everyone there. There's another picture. You know the second one? There's a famous world historian that said, Rome burned and Nero fiddled. Here he is uh, playing his harp, just overjoyed knowing what he's going to get to do. Meanwhile, everyone is in pain and uh, like a politician probably would, he has to blame it on someone. He can't say that he did that. So he blamed the Christians. When you hear early church, you probably think of persecution, and all of that has its origins in this day and time. When you think of the Christians being fed to the lions or, or, or the tiger down here, uh, that horrific part of world history all had its origin in these moments Peter is writing this book. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, let me get you to 1 Peter 5. It starts off and it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. They had to leave. What that means, they had to leave Rome. They had to leave their homes, and they had to go to Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, where Paul's first and second missionary journeys were. They had to flee because they were being persecuted. They were the enemies of the state. The entire book of 1 Peter can be summed up in these two words, elect exiles. Peter's writing to people who are elect. Elect means those who have experienced the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the reconciling love of God. I mean, this is who they are. This is who we are as Christians. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might have a lot of ideas about what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't go with girls who do. A Christian is not someone who doesn't see a rated R movie unless it's The Passion of the Christ. A Christian is not someone who doesn't do certain things or does certain things. A Christian is not someone who cleans up their life. A Christian is a forgiven sinner, not a perfect person, Someone who is forgiven, we have experienced the love and the mercy and the grace of God. But that's not all Peter says. He says that we are elect, they were elect exiles. An exile is an outsider. An exile is a foreigner. He uses in chapter two the word sojourner. Think of Israel wandering without a home. We are in this weird, tense place as believers where we have experienced the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, and yet we still live in a world that is tainted by sin. We still live in fallen flesh, sinful flesh, struggling through days, which means we experience pain and difficulty. Theologians call this the already and the not yet, that already we've experienced and been, and given the full heart love of God. And yet, not yet, are we in heaven or the new Jerusalem. So we find ourselves just like they did in this tense place of pain. And just like us, they were hurting, they were confused, they were anxious, and they were depressed. And Peter wrote to give them hope for their hurt. So if you have your Bible, 1 Peter chapter five, I'm gonna read verses five through 11. Read along with me. He says, likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Amen. Peter is writing to hurting people, and he's gonna tell us three things today. The first thing he wants us to know when we're hurting is that we've got to be real with ourselves. You who are here in the center, you who are there over in the point, you have got to be real with yourself when you're hurting. You see, the problem is, is our pain disorients us. It, it puts us in this place of not knowing up from down, not knowing what decision do I make, where do I go, what do I do right now? We can, we can make our pain even worse by panicking and making decisions out of pain instead of being real with ourselves. He starts off and he says, you who are younger be subject to the elders. He's just spent four verses describing elders and encouraging elders. And so he comes in this verse and he says, you who are younger, it's a a contrast to the elders. An elder is not an old man, an elder is a godly man that has been recognized by the community. This is someone that God has called to help lead us in his word in difficult days. We've got to be real with ourselves that we need help. We need help in our lives, and specifically, we need the godly men that Paul says are gifts to the church to walk with us through the difficult days in our lives. When John gets up here on on a weekend and he opens God's word, and he communicates the truths of God in a way that are meant to be applicable in your life, he's doing that to help you navigate the days, the pains, the situations, and the opportunities that are in front of you. He's doing that because he loves you. The men who are elders in this church pray for you, love you, and want to be there to walk with you through difficult days and difficult seasons. And if we were ever in a difficult day, it's today, amen? We need men who can tell us this is what God's word says and this is what it means right now in this present situation. But it isn't just that we need godly men. We need elders. We also need each other. He turns next and he says... Clothe yourselves, all of you, and all of you means all of you. Everyone here, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. What he's saying in this is that we need each other. We need community. It is not okay to be alone in your life. You were not made to be alone. And a lot of us feel like we have community because we're in this really weird cultural moment where you have people that follow you on social media. There is a big difference between having people that follow you on social media and having community. Let me give you an example. When my son Rivers was nine months old, he was diagnosed with RSV. Sorry, when he was one month old. He's nine months old now. When he was one month old, he was diagnosed with RSV. It was a terrifying situation. He's in a a hospital bed at Norton Hospital in Louisville in this picture. He was sick. We knew something wasn't right. We took him to the hospital and we get there. They take him into the emergency room and then the doctors come out and they say, listen, we've run some tests. Here's what we think it is. We think it's RSV. We might have to life flight him to Cincinnati because we don't have the equipment at this hospital to take care of his breathing drops below a certain level. We were terrified. Meanwhile, I have the other three gremlins that I'm having to grab hands because they're trying to unplug the machines that are running the test. Like, if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like, they're just destroying stuff everywhere that they go. And so I'm grabbing hands and trying to hold them. My wife is crying. I had to take the three older children home to feed them dinner. This was in the evening, to feed them dinner, to put them down to bed. And I had to stay there with them while Rachel stayed at the hospital with Rivers. It was a terrifying ordeal. And, and here's what happened. When our community found out what was going on, there were people who stepped in and said, hey, Trey, I'll stay here with your kids. You go up and sit in the hospital with your wife. You, you, here's, here's dinner. You go take this to Rachel. Go let her take a shower uh, while, while you sit with the nurses and the baby. Uh, we had a friend uh, whose wife, uh, a co-worker whose wife was a pediatrician, and she came up to the hospital room, and she read through the charts, and she said, okay, this is good, because the doctors have got to give you worst-case scenarios. She said, no, no, th- this is good. I think you're actually in a good spot. Here's what this medicine's going to do. Here's what's going to happen next, because you never know when you're in the hospital. I mean, they're in, and out and there's always something going on and there's always alarms going off and you don't know what any of them mean. We were terrified and we had community that stepped in and brought peace. Men that came in from our church that put their arms around Rachel and I and prayed for us and said, hey, our child had RSV when they were young and, and they're healthy and have their own family now. You can trust God with this. You need community in your life to walk with you because you know what didn't happen? Facebook didn't do anything in that moment for me. All those people that follow you on social media, they're not there to put an arm around you when you're crying and you need help. You've got to cultivate community. And that's why he says that we've got to humble ourselves, to clothe ourselves with humility. It is an action that we do. We've got to have community, to be real with ourselves that we need it, but in order to have community, you've gotta be community. He says that you put on humility. It's an action, and I think Peter is thinking about Jesus throwing that towel over his shoulder and kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples. At the Last Supper, here's the king of the universe washing the filthy feet of these men, not because it had to be done, but because he loved them. He showed them that he loved them. He cultivated community with the disciples. You've got to do that in your own life. You humble yourself that life doesn't revolve around you. Uh, Humility is not thinking of ourselves less, it's thinking less of ourselves. We've got to have that posture that says, I need other people, so I've got to reach out and care for other people. And you don't do that in the moment of need. You should have cultivated that long before. So when you hit that place, you have community. Maybe right now you need to be cultivating community with someone who's in this room and hurting right now. You've got to be real with yourself that you need other people. We also have to be real with ourselves that we need wisdom, We need wisdom when we're hurting. He says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a quote from Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs was written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And what he's doing in the book of Proverbs is he's he's giving his son distilled wisdom, things that he's learned from his life. And really, Proverbs is a constant contrast. He's saying, this is what foolish people do don't do these things, this is what wise people do, do these things. And in, first, and, and in Proverbs chapter 3, he's literally walking through and saying, don't do these things but do those things. And so he gets to this culminating point and he says, God opposes the proud. That is a military stance. God takes a against the proud. Think of an offensive lineman. He's not just blocking, but he's also moving forward against the proud. What he means in that, God takes a position against people who think they don't need God and they don't need other people. We can get to this dangerous place in our life where we feel like, I've got this, I can do it on my own. That is a foolish, destructive way to live your life. But the opposite of that is also true, that God gives grace to the humble God stands ready to pour out his mercy his love his grace on those who are weak on those who are tired on those who know if he doesn't do it it will not be done and that's the gospel message right that he has done this, which is why he moves right from that into verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Under the mighty hand of God is another Old Testament allusion. It's pointing back to the Exodus. There's this rhythm in the Old Testament of God speaking to Israel and saying, by my strong right arm, under my mighty arm, I led you out of Egypt. Well, what was happening in Egypt? Egypt. They were in bondage. They were slaves and there was nothing that they could do to save themselves. There was nothing they could do to get out of that. But God, but God did. God stepped in and through those Ten plagues through the parting of the Red Sea, leading them through, God brought them out of slavery to himself at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, where there's this wedding ceremony between God and his people. God did what they couldn't do, which is the gospel message, family, that he can do what we can't. And so here's Peter writing to people who are in pain, and he's saying, you've got to be real with yourself, that you need God to do some things that you cannot do in your life. The greatest problem that every single one of us has is our sin. And God has provided the way through Jesus. It isn't about us earning our way to God. It is what Jesus has done. Jesus paid it all. And if God can solve the greatest problem, the greatest need that you and I have, don't you think he can handle whatever it is we're walking through right now? We've got to be real with ourselves when we're hurting that that we need wise Bible speaking men in our lives that we need one another, that we need wisdom and that we need the Lord to do what only he can do. And I get that you are probably just like me and you're saying, okay, so what what do I do? I know I I need those things, but how in the world does that change anything? Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter here tells them, it isn't just that you know you need these things, you do something because you know he is there. You cast, that's an action, you cast your hurt, your depression, your anxiety, your overwhelm, your loneliness, your fear, your pain, whatever it is, you cast it on him, you entrust it into his hands. So in our backyard at home, we have a magnolia tree in the, in the far corner. And our boys love to climb this tree. And I'm a firm believer that uh, there are times in your life as a parent that you need to let your kids hurt themselves so that they learn some things. And so I let them climb the tree pretty high. But what I I don't do is I don't let my daughter climb the tree because she's two years old. And what inevitably happens is that some point in an afternoon, I will hear in the back corner of our backyard, help, help, and I will see this Two year old little girl clinging to this tree for all of her life, about four or five feet off the ground because she's realized I'm off the ground and I don't know what to do. And I have to walk out there, or Rachel will have to walk out there, and we will put our hands on her little back and we'll have to say, Let go. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. We've got you. And in that moment, she is so tightly gripped, she has to trust that we can solve her problems. She'll let go, and we'll pull her down and tell her, don't you climb that tree again. In our lives, some of us have been hurting, and and it is very real, deep pain, and Maybe like uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, I don't know if you've read that book or seen that movie, maybe you have, you have held on to that hurt, that pain, that thing that was done to you, that thing that you hate, that thing that is just so wounding physically or emotionally. It's, it's begun to define who you are and you have gripped so tightly to it. And what he's saying in this text is you've got to let go of that and put it in his hands and trust it to him because... He cares for you and for me. I want you to think about that. The God of the universe cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your life right now. He's not distant. he's not uh, uh, uncaring hey you got yourself into this get yourself out of it he cares for you he cares about your pain and he wants to do something with it and just like faith it starts with that step of trusting him it's not a platitude let go let God it is an active I am giving this to you because I know you love me and I know you can do what I can't we've got to be real with ourselves when we're hurting it's the second thing You need to know your real enemy. You have a real enemy. He he, he turns in verses eight through nine and he begins to discuss this roaring lion that is Satan. So here's, here's two things. When you're hurting, you will tend to isolate what we just talked about, that you will cut off people, you will move away from people, or what you will do is you will medicate. Our society is an overly medicated society, and I'm not talking necessarily about medicine. When you're hurting, you've had a hard day, you're in a hard season, you come home and you turn on Netflix and you binge watch an entire season in a night. Maybe you come home and you just take a few extra prescription pain pills. Right? We are dealing with an opioid crisis and it's not because every one of us is physically hurting, it's because we want to take pills that make the pain go away. Or maybe you drink until it just doesn't hurt anymore. Or maybe you open up your laptop or your iPad and you fire up pornography or you fire up social media and you scour social media for hours looking at everybody else's curated life and wonder why your life doesn't feel like they're polished and filtered pictures. Or, or maybe you just scroll through Amazon looking and buying things and hoping that this next thing will make you feel better. It's what we do, and do you know where all of that comes from, all of that medicating? It comes from our enemy who tempts us, who lies to us. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter six, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's each other. Our real problem is not one another, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, just look at how descriptive he is. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. He uses four descriptive terms in that one verse to make sure that we understand how real our enemy is. Peter, in this passage, he says, our adversary. We have an Enemy, someone who is opposed to our life, to our joy, to our walking together. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. I want you to think right now, this is in this room. And some of you, he is right now attacking you in your faith, filling your head with lies. Right now every day. I don't think most of us ever process the reality of spiritual warfare. There was a movie in the 90s called The Usual Suspects. And in that movie, there was a character who said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. I would change that. And I would say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the church he doesn't exist. Which is why Peter comes and he says, you've got to be sober-minded. And Peter has used this word three times in this book. Five chapters, he uses the word sober-minded. Because when we're hurting, when it is hard, when we're suffering, we are so easily tempted by the enemy. And he tells us that there, there is a need to be sober about the way we think about our enemy. There's two dangerous ways to think about the enemy. The first one is substitution that we just don't have a category. You don't ever think when it is difficult, when it's tense, when some random idea pops into your head that, that, that there's just no enemy. There is nothing. This is just me right now. The opposite is equally as dangerous, which is superstition, where we feel like every time we get a red light it has to be the enemy. When we feel like every time we're having a hard moment that that you know, the exorcist is about to appear in a room with us. These are dangerous uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. Jesus wants us in the middle in the biblical position of we have an enemy. He operates in lies. Uh, But like Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He's on a leash. There was nothing that the devil could do to Job that God didn't give him permission to do. He's not an opposite of God. He is God's devil and God has already defeated him at the cross and there is a day coming when he will be cast into the lake of fire. We've got to be biblical about our thinking of the enemy. But what do we do? I mean, we have this real enemy. What do we do? Peter says, you resist him. You resist this enemy because here's the deal. The enemy is going to tell you that your pain is ultimate and it's not. It's not. The enemy is going to tell you that no one understands, but we do. The enemy is going to tell you that you're all alone, but we're right here with you. The enemy is going to tempt you to pull away from community, but when you're hurting is when you should most push into community. The enemy is going to tempt you to find hope in some other place, some other thing than the scriptures, the spirit's work in your life, the community that God's given to you. You need to rest in those things. He's going to distract you. He's going to keep you down. He is seeking to destroy your life. You resist him by being firm in your faith, first of all. My grandfather used to tell me, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. You and I have got to be people who know the word of God. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, the enemy was lying to him and twisting scripture, and Jesus always responded with the word of God. Do you know how they teach FBI and CIA agents to know when there's counterfeit currency? They take them and they put them in a room with real currency, real $100 bills, $20 bills. Have them look at the real thing, study the true thing so that when a deceptive fake pops up, they can tell pretty quickly what it is. You and I, if we're going to understand how our enemy operates, have got to be men and women who know God's word. The enemy is going to hiss in our ears at some point this week, just like he did Eve. And the question is, will you know the truth from the lie? Or will your pain multiply because you've been deceived and you've given in to temptation? But it's not just that we need to be people of the word. We've got to understand every single one of us is being tempted and attacked. He says that our brotherhood around the world are experiencing this. Like everyone in this room is hurting. Everyone in this room is dealing with the enemy right now. Right now, we have one another. We have God's word and we have each other and we've got to press in because what the enemy does is he isolates us, lies to us, tempts us, and ruins our lives if we let him. Here's the third thing that Peter would say to those of us who are in this room and are hurting right now, and that's that we have to really worship God. We have to really worship God. Listen to what Peter says. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, does it ever feel like a little while when you're suffering? No, It always feels like it's forever. I've been hurting for so long. This is the biggest thing in my life. Uh, David in the Psalms will say, I feel like I'm wasting away. My bones are aching. When we're hurting, when we're alone, when we're anxious, when we're depressed, it seems like it's the only thing that's ever happened to us. It is the most dominating thing in our life. And here's Peter saying, after a little while? That just feels so dismissive, doesn't it? But he's contrasting this moment with eternity, he says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, God has grace for you no matter where you are, who has called you. This is the gospel who has changed your eternal destination to his eternal glory in Christ. Little while is contrasted with eternal. Because here's what's true about you. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are his. You will spend eternity with him in heaven where there is no suffering, no sin, no shame, no pain, no brokenness. He is making all things new is what Jesus says in Revelation 21.5. Uh, Peter here says he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is a promise for your life and for my life. That no matter what is happening right now, God is doing something that is bigger than we could ever imagine. It is more glorious than we could ever hope for. And it defines us more than anything we're walking through right now. And here's what happens to Peter. It's Peter's thinking about what the gospel says, what Jesus has done for us. He just starts to sing. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. That is a New Testament doxology. That is a New Testament song. Listen, when you're hurting, when your life feels so overwhelmed by a painful situation, if you will get with the people of God and you will begin to sing and think about how good the Lord is, what he's done for us, it changes everything because what he's done for us has eternally changed everything for us. And this moment begins to pale in comparison to eternity. And for some of us, we've allowed our pain to be the most important thing in our life, to become this idol. We have deified the pain instead of Understanding God has already solved this problem, we're just walking through it to see how our good God will step in and intervene. Do you believe that he cares for you? Listen, I know that it is hard. It is so hard hard when you are hurting for that to get down and in. But this is what Peter is pushing. He's pushing people who are hurting to be real with themselves. You've got to know who you are, where you are, and whose you are. He is pushing us to know that we have a real enemy that is going to exploit your pain and make it worse if you're not being sober-minded and resisting him. And he is pushing us that when we're hurting, one of the most important things that you can do is really worship God. Connection point. Maybe you're here today and you need to know it's okay to not be okay, right? Like this, this is supposed to be a hospital. This is what Jesus said. This is a hospital for those who are hurting to come in and to find healing. Maybe you need to hear that today. It's okay. Maybe you need to know it's also okay to open up about that. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor or, or an elder or maybe you need to talk to somebody who's sitting on the same row as you. Please don't hold it in. Open up. Open up because there's healing available for you. Maybe you're here today and you need to hear your life doesn't revolve around you. God has allowed you to walk through some things in your past that if you opened up and you shared about a painful season in your past, it may give life to someone in this room. We need to know that our God is a rescuing, healing, redeeming God, and he has done miracles in this room that we need to open up and know about. Maybe you need to put yourself in a position to be a safe place for someone to come and hear that there's hope for them. Maybe, maybe you are in this room today and you know that you've never trusted in Christ to save you from your sins. Today could be the day of salvation. Listen, your life is gonna continue to be more and more confusing and difficult if you don't get this right. You were made to know that God loves you and has a plan for your life and it's all rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Maybe today you need to entrust your soul as well as your hurts into the hands of Jesus. I don't know where you are right now in life. I know that every single one of us is hurting and one of these three things is the thing that you need to know and you need to do right now. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna pray that you would listen to and obey the spirit right now. Tommy and the guys are gonna come back out and they're gonna lead us in another song. Maybe you need to go and talk to someone. Maybe you need to grab a pastor. Whatever that is, you obey because you have a God who is good and loves you and there's hope for us in our hurt. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no mountain to climb. He already climbed that mountain. He climbed that cross and he paid the debt that we owe. I pray that there is someone in this room today who gives up trying to be good enough and rests in your completed work. I pray that there's someone in this room today who understands that it is all of grace, the kingdom, life with you is all of grace, and that maybe they would open up and know we're here to walk through those difficult moments, those painful situations with them. I pray that there's someone in here today who would realize you have given them a story and they need to share it. They need to be available. God, you have been so gracious to us, not just to take care of our sin, but to give us one another to walk through this life together. Help us to know that the exile part of life doesn't define us. The elect part does, and to rest and to walk and to live in your love and in your grace because it's available for us. We thank you for Jesus. There is so much hope for us when we're hurting because of Jesus.